Welcome to Everything I Hate About Me, a podcast of self-loathing, hopefully leading to self-illumination. I am your host and fellow lost soul, Eli. This week's episode continues my conversation with me about self-identity. Last week, I mentioned the ego in its conversations with the dissenting voices within us. This week, I take inspiration from Ralph Waldo Emerson and, although we'll save our discussion of him for another episode, Albert Camus, as I attempt to embrace yet another thing I find quite annoying about myself, that I am a mass of contradictions. Does that sound familiar? Are you too constantly at odds with yourself? Well then, create your own damn podcast to talk about you. This is about me. But first... This episode is brought to you by Blonde Hair Dye. Are you a single mother and small-town school teacher with amnesia under attack by professional assassins only to find out through flashbacks and constant encounters with those who want to kill you that you, yourself, are a professional assassin? And now you find yourself on a road trip with a lousy private investigator to find out the truth about your past, but want to try to hide your identity in a very unconvincing way, and are actually just using that as an excuse to look sexy while you kill your enemies? Well then, try blonde hair dye. Why be a brunette assassin when you could be blonde? Hey, uh, blonde hair dye guy. Yes? Was that the plot synopsis to the classic 90s action movie The Long Kiss Goodnight starring Gina Davis and Samuel L. Jackson? No. Okay. Just checking. Ralph Waldo Emerson is my life raft. When my plane is going to crash into snow-capped mountains and there are no more parachutes on board, and I have to not only save myself, but my child-traveling companion and annoying showgirl I picked up in Hong Kong, metaphorically speaking, of course, then Emerson is the life raft I climb into and leap from the plane in. And no, that is not a reference to Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. I don't know why you would even ask. It's just a metaphor. A person can open to any paragraph written by Emerson and find within it a pearl of wisdom with such substance that we might not recognize it as a pearl at all. In the 2020s, we are used to our pearls presented to us in Instagram stories often composed mainly of grammatical and syntactical errors. The richness of Emerson's poetic prose is something unlooked for by those who read pop psychology, pseudo-philosophy, and the self-help genre generally. Emerson is someone we quote because we lack the power of thinking and writing like him ourselves. I'm not here to argue that the Founding Fathers did not invent America, but when it comes to teaching Americans how to be American, the only name I can think of that stands toe-to-toe with Emerson is Walt Whitman, the poet laureate of the beautiful American mind. 
In what is perhaps Emerson's most well-known work, his classic essay, Self-Reliance, we find incontrovertible evidence of Emerson's role as father of American thought and philosophy. As he rolls out his pragmatic philosophies, Emerson teaches us about the sovereignty of our own souls, dashing absolutism upon the rocks as he allows humanity the opportunity to evolve within and without the scope of our own genius. Personally, I take a little too much comfort in Emerson reminding us all that, quote, a foolish consistency is the hobgoblin of little minds." Unquote. America is made to be changed, just as the human soul is made to continually progress and become. This is the heart and soul of American individualism. I am the metaphor for we, and I am as sovereign as any man, just as we together are sovereign. No wise man or sage is more divine in their thought and experience than I, and this includes Emerson. We should have moved beyond Emerson. Each of us should be thinking higher thoughts than Emerson ever thought. We must also include Jesus, the Buddha, Plato, Aristotle, Confucius, and every other conveyor of wisdom. We should all be thinking far beyond these ancient has-beens. The fact that we don't is a condemnation of ourselves. Our reverence for our past has limited our present and virtually damned our future. As the very next sentence in Self-Reliance states, quote, With consistency, a great soul has simply nothing to do. Unquote. In the previous episode of this podcast, I left out mentioning one of my first heroes growing up in order to save him for this episode. Superman. My parents brought me to see Star Wars when I was basically a newborn, so that movie was just ingrained within me. But then a few years later, I was watching the original Superman movie with Christopher Reeve. And then came the Superman underwear, Superman pajamas, complete with choking hazard cape, and of course, Superman action figures. We had a cat named Cotton Jenny, named for the Gordon Lightfoot song, who I only remember as being rather mean. I picked her up one day when I was around two or three years old and she went berserk, slashing and clawing at my chest and then leaping from my arms. In a panic, I looked down to see what terrible carnage Cotton Jenny had done to my tender little body, but, to my surprise and wonder, there it was, that beautiful red S of my Superman pajamas, unscathed, impenetrable, a standard of strength and protection, and in that moment, I was Superman. I've heard many people talk about how difficult it is to write an interesting Superman story because he is just too powerful. What do you do with someone who can fly across galaxies, hear a pin drop from across the globe, perform brain surgery with his heat vision from a mile away, and punch so hard he has literally broken reality? But Superman's powers are not what makes him interesting. Just as in any great story or mythology, it is the why and the how he uses his power. 
Superman is sometimes compared to Jesus or a messianic type character, which makes sense as Superman was dreamed up by a couple of Jewish guys, Jerry Siegel and Joe Schuster. A being such as Superman should bring about a messianic age. However, Superman bringing about world peace is not interesting. Superman defeating evildoers using his amazing powers is not interesting. As corny as it sounds, the first two movies with Christopher Reeve actually ask the most interesting question of all. What happens if love makes Superman selfish? What rules will he break? What will he give up? How will he either abuse or relinquish his power for love? In the case of the masculine, most love stories are either about love establishing or dismantling patriarchal hierarchies. In this first Christopher Reeve outing as Superman, we find his love for Lois Lane causing him to break the rules of meddling with the natural laws. Superman establishes himself as all-powerful, basically the king of Earth, as his love for a woman causes him to literally take control of the entire planet. In Superman 2, however, Superman embraces a powerless existence as Clark Kent in order to be with Lois. And between Clark Kent and Lois Lane, we all know who's the boss in that relationship. Superman gives up his power over everything. He had tried to be the immovable object, standing for goodness, honesty, hope, strength, and kindness. But the unstoppable force that is Lois Lane made it so that someone had to surrender. History, I believe, will prove me correct in stating that, except in cases of tyranny and abuse, it is the masculine that surrenders to the feminine. What does one do after they have surrendered themselves? What does one do when they have given up huge parts of their identity? This might be part of what Emerson is talking about, letting go of consistency so that the soul has something to do. When we let go of who we are, what remains? One view could be that what remains in the rubble is potential. Potential for new forms, new constructs. Are we so in love with ourselves that the thought of becoming of reinventing is so terrible? What's so great about you, you self-aggrandizing, egotistical bastard? Sorry, that was the inner voice becoming outer voice. We've all had that conversation with someone who thinks something about them that is completely uninteresting, is the most interesting thing about them, and they bring it up at every opportunity. That thing might have been interesting for about five minutes the first time it was mentioned, but now that person bringing it up makes us want to jump out the window. Quite often, these are people with dietary restrictions, or who sell things at parties that they want you to throw for them, or who were in a play once or a sport once, or who lived abroad a long time ago when the world was young, you know before you aged so incredibly fast by having to hear them talk about it again? These persons might at first seem laughable, but they are all of us. 
For usually what is most interesting about us is that which we do not speak of, and that which is least interesting about us we won't shut up about. I'm a vegetarian. It is perhaps the least interesting thing about me. I've acted in plays. I was unremarkable in all of them. I was fine. I brought hubris to every role, but very little skill, and even fewer good ideas. I've never sold anything at a party, but I've attended parties with the purpose of selling myself to some person, some contact of renown. They were never sold on me, probably because I was shilling out the least interesting parts of myself, the parts that I felt comfortable in, the parts that I thought made me strong, but that probably made me appear weak and indefatigably boring. There was a rabbi in Jerusalem lecturing to a bunch of Christians about Judaism, and he talked about how his religion has been wrong about things, that it's not perfect. As odd as it might sound, I was listening to a cassette recording of this rabbi as I lay in my bed in Vila Velha, Brazil, in a tiny apartment within smelling distance of the Garoto Chocolate Factory. As I lay there listening to this rabbi talk about the shortcomings of his own faith, I was pierced to my core the moment he exclaimed, Every morning I have to get up and live with that. That was 24 years ago. I still remember the exact intonation of his voice as if he were standing here proclaiming that today. According to Emerson, isn't this the problem with religiosity in all of its forms? To be religious is to be consistent to repeat something over and over again, to be something over and over again. What can the soul do with this? Many religions claim their God to be unchanging, as if that were the ultimate goal of perfection, to never have to change ever again. I can understand the attractiveness of such a view. Change is uncomfortable, Change means becoming someone else, even if just a little bit. Then arises the ego of man to say, I don't have to change. I just need to be me, and anyone who disagrees is toxic. I have news for all of us. We are not so great. Just as the rabbi, we all have to wake up and live with ourselves. There will never come a morning when we shall awaken and not be ourselves, and yet I believe we do this all of the time. We arise and wonder how it is that we have become who we are. We lift our heads, and it's not our head anymore, but that of a stranger, someone who has either become more or less empowered over the days and years of our life's journey. What have we been clinging to that has made us strong? or made us weak, strong in some ways, and weak in others. And what is so precious about the things we cling to, like Smeagol, creeping in the dark, pining for things about ourselves that we thought gave us power, but in actuality have power over us? Oh, my precious. It wants to tell the same it does. It doesn't like the changes, does it, precious? Got him! Got him! 
I would wager that for all of us the potential is there that the most interesting things about us have yet to have been discovered. And how could they be with so much consistency? Most of us are, as the song says, lost souls swimming in a fishbowl year after year. I challenge myself this day to think something I've never thought before, read about something I have never read, to agree with thoughts and viewpoints that are contradictory to my own, to contradict myself, to hold myself accountable, to become, to take back the power I have unwittingly surrendered, to surrender the power I thought I needed, to love so hard that I would become a tyrant over the entire world, but powerless to the one I love.